Okay, part uh, part two of uh, Lawrence's question um, refers to your experience with Dennis at Bob Monroe's lab. Um, I recall this is from the book. Uh, this is where you exclaimed, this stuff is real. Uh, Lawrence asks, were you really together on this trip just like someone would be in physical matter reality? Um, for example, could you and Dennis go out on another out-of-body trip that was taped individually? And then during that trip, uh, say Dennis gives you an eight-digit number, could you then repeat that back on the tape? Did you ever do any experiment like that? And he asked, no, how we, would it work? Yeah, we didn't do that experiment, but yes, it is possible. What you're asking, really, it's an experiment in uh, telepathy. You know, if one person... Uh, has something in their mind, can the other person get that information? And yes, you know, there's plenty of data that shows that telepathy exists. You know, the people that know things that otherwise they wouldn't know, you know, it, uh, usually it's a natural, un, uh, you know, it's not purposely done. Typically you'll find uh, a mother who's very connected to her children knows when one of her children's in trouble or knows when one of her children's coming home or knows when something happens, you see. It's not because they do that intellectually or on purpose. It's just you have a connection there. So the, the, the comm link's open all the time. There's a connection between mom and her kids. And when these things happen, she gets the message. Okay, so we know telepathy works because that's, you know, that, that kind of thing has happened for thousands of years and, and well documented that you can change, exchange information like that. And the reason that works is because we as consciousness are all netted. Okay, we're all in this net together. It's um, like different, uh, like the mom is one internet site and the kids are the other internet site. It's just the mom always has the kids internet site up in her mind because she's interested. You know, but we're all netted on this, we're all netted on this big net. So now could this also happen with two people who were, you know, uh, their, their bodies, their avatars were laying in, in beds in some, control room someplace and and they were having an experience well sure it could happen but one might say they're just it was just one one avatar uh, you know giving a telepathic message to the other or the two that were out of body were giving telepathic messages to each other you know I don't know there's a whole lot of difference in that you know it's pretty much the same sort of thing it's moving data back and forth between two people and yes that can be done now it's a lot harder to move data like a specific string of digits, you know, like a you know, like a six-digit number or a four-digit number, that's harder to do because telepathy works in terms of of um, uh, maybe the best way to say it is like paragraph at a time. Telepathy isn't linear. See, our language and our math is very linear, so we can talk we talk about a number, you know, the digits four, seven, eight, two, six. That's linear. That's the way we work. Telepathy really doesn't work like that. Telepathy gives you a whole paragraph, a sense. My kid's in trouble. Uh, my kid, their, their ride didn't show up today. I need to go pick them up at the school or they're hurt. I need to go find out where they are. It's not, oh, you know, they're lying down on their right side, you know, and this is such and such a place with a big bruise on, you know, you don't get that kind of detail typically in telepathy. Not that that's impossible. People have done that. 
So it's not an impossible experiment. It's just a hard experiment because it requires a, a, a very uh, unusual communication, telepathic communication. Not an impossible thing, but it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to do. It would be better to do, uh, you know, you have, uh, well, it's not exactly the same as remote viewing, but you, know, you have people, like when they remote view, they get the same thing, right? They get a picture. And the picture isn't exactly a high-res photograph of what their target is. They don't get that kind of information. What they get is something that looks like it. Well, they see the tower. They see the railroad tracks. They don't really see the tower and the railroad tracks. They just see two lines that are parallel to each other that go here. Well, that turns out to be the railroad tracks. You see, they, they see a, a structure sticking up in the air. Well, that turns out to be the tower. You know, they're remote viewing. They really don't know what they're remote viewing. It's not like they say, road track and there's a train on it and the train has this many cars that's not what you get you get a you just get a sense of the of the information of what's there that's kind of the way telepathy works just like a remote viewing doesn't get a, a high-res photograph it just gets a sense of the picture and it doesn't even actually get the picture so much as it just gets elements of it and usually the remote viewers don't have any idea what that is those two parallel lines that could be a railroad track. That could be a superhighway. That could be who knows, you know. That could be smoke coming out of two chimneys and a trail of smoke, you know, running through the sky or, or jets leaving contrails, you know, that make two parallel lines. They don't know what it is, but they just describe what they see, and they can get very high marks on describing the scene, you know, basic elements that are in that, that, uh, that scene, enough that the statistics of could they have just come up with that Correlation, you know, randomly is like, you know, one in a million, one in a hundred thousand, so they can correlate enough. But it works that way. So these things are very difficult because the system really doesn't work that way so much. Uh, when you, when the system collects data, and I talk about these databases in my talks, it doesn't collect every detail. It, if it did that, it would have way too much data to deal with. It collects everything that would seem to be important. Now, how does it decide what's important? Well, you might think of like an expert system. You know, it may have some criteria about what's important. So if you go back uh, and say, well, um, you know, six months ago, Tom Campbell, you uh, had an itch on your head, and did you scratch it with your right hand or your left hand? You see, the system may not have that. So if you try to go back in the database to find out whether six months ago you scratched your head with your right hand or your left hand, you probably won't find it, you see, because the data doesn't do that level of detail. It doesn't matter. That's not important. So it has to not collect the position of every atom in the universe. It just has to collect the stuff that, you know, it, it thinks is significant. Now, sometimes it may think something's insignificant, and it turns out later to be significant. Oops, well, there, there's a hole in the database. You see, that kind of thing happens. Or it may, it may collect a bunch of insignificant stuff that it never uses. Well, that's a problem, too, because now it's wasted bits on stuff that didn't, turned out not to be important. So if you do that over a long enough time, you can start to build up learning over what's important and what's not, you know, what the kind of things you need. So it's not a one-to-one. -one. The, the larger conscious system is not just like this virtual reality. This virtual reality has huge amounts of detail. It's very linear. 
Uh, that's because that gives a really good learning lab because you get immediate and clear feedback from that kind of a reality. But in the non-physical, it's not that detailed. It's not that, uh, it's not that way. And all, every detail is not collected. So that's what makes it hard to give somebody a six-digit number telepathically. Not impossible. You probably, if you look that up, you'd probably find that it's been done a hundred times and, you know, while people were looking and, you know, under pretty good scientific protocols because this sort of research has been going on for a long time. But uh, it's not something that, that uh, happens very often. Because it doesn't just... Go ahead. Is this sort of like a, a non-local correlation through conditioning? You know, like, so for instance, like if you, you know someone and, you know, like, for instance, your parent or your or relative that you spend a lot of time with and y'all kind of do the same things and go to the same places. And so, like, at a certain point in time, maybe, like, in, in your consciousness, something to pop up and it'll pop up in their minds at, this, at, at that same moment because is this sort of like a non-local correlation or is it like, you know, I want to meet somebody so we go out of body and then, like, I say something and then, like, the the consciousness system that's mediating it is sending them a non-local signal so like they're getting a hit as I'm thinking of it they're, you know so like let's say like I'm in trouble and then so is my mother getting like a radar like there's something something wrong or is it just because of conditioning that we you know like for instance like when they talk about the the uh the dog knows when the when the uh when their owner is is coming home is it because like th that's processed in them and so it's really not anything happening like physically but they just know it because every day at that time they've been conditioned by that. And so in their consciousness, just something they get alerted because that time has is is presenting itself again. Yeah. I don't know if I'm well, saying the, the answer to that is, is both. You know, both of those things, both of those work. Uh, if you come home at five o'clock every night at quarter to five, your dog's going to start to get antsy, right? Because the dog expects you home because you come home all the time that time. And uh, so, well, the kids get antsy, you know, every, everybody, even your goldfish probably expects you to come home and feed it. So that's, that's just like you say, that, that they correlate that over time. People get used to things and they have habits. And uh, that's certainly true. But besides that, there are experiments like Sheldrake did where they take a random, you know, they take the, the owner of the dog and they, they take a random time that they're going to be away. You know, they just go in the middle of the day. And they, they randomly say, we'll be gone half hour, you know, three hours, four hours, whatever. And the person, the owner, doesn't know that. At least the one experiment I, I saw of Rupert's, you know, they went out with somebody else that stayed with them. And that somebody else says, okay, it's time to come home now. You know, so it's not the dog owner that makes that decision. It's somebody else makes that decision. And uh, then they start home. And then if your dog starts doing its flips and getting excited because you're coming home, and it's not part of a, a, you know, a, a repeated sequence, now you've got something else going on. But it's not, it's not that they sent them a message physically. Nothing physically traveled from the owner to the dog. It's not a physical thing. It's not a radar. It's not a morphic field. It's not a, it's not a physical process. It's the process because consciousness are all connected. And the dog, just like the mother is focused on the child, the dog is focused on the owner. So when that owner does something that affects the dog, it's, you know, the dog gets it. It's a, it's a, 
Yeah, it's a consciousness-to-consciousness communication, which means it's entirely non-physical because the consciousness has to be non-physical to the reality where the avatar is. So it's a, it's a consciousness-to-consciousness communication that goes on there. The dog is aware of what that owner's doing. Not in detail. The dog doesn't think, oh, the owner's sitting on a bench, you know, feeding pigeons, and oh, look at that pigeon, you know, that one's more red than that. The dog is not getting that kind of a message. It's, again, the dog just gets a sense, oh, owner's coming home. Oh, yay, you know, and starts getting excited and, and jumping around because it gets that message. It's not that it's telepathically remote viewing, you know, or, or remote viewing or getting some kind of physical signal. It's just a conscious to consciousness communication because we're all netted. That's what's, that's how those things happen. But much of it can be uh, just habit. Sure, we're very habitual people and we tend to do things in the same ways a lot. And if the dog gets excited because it's quarter to five and the owner always comes home right at five, that doesn't necessarily show you anything other than that dog is conditioned to that owner coming home at that at that particular time. See, that's not a good, that doesn't carry any evidence at all for anything, uh, anything going on as paranormal. But when the dog does that randomly, you is know, it, you have to. Is the larger is the larger consciousness system mediating that? You know, like for instance, when they say when you make a, a measurement on, on, like let's say you had two atoms that were paired and then you separate them and you make a measurement on one, the other one uh, reacts instantaneously. So then, our, the larger the 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 system that we are a part of is sort of non locally mediating that. So it, 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 would that be the same thing? You know, like if you know if 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 the dog is thinking about the owner coming home, they're not really getting like a like you say like a um. Uh, a visual like message of like what the owner is doing, but the uh, the the consciousness system that we are part of is sort of mediating an affair, like sending. Uh, so basically, like the larger, so like if they're not the the larger consciousness system is is non locally is the larger consciousness system non local non locally medi- mediating the affair, you know. So like if if the if if the dog thinks and then, ah. Uh, so, like, for instance, like, let's I, say... I get it. Yeah, I get it. I know what you're saying. Yes, you can look at it. That's now we're down to the metaphor, looking at metaphors for how we describe what's going on. And the metaphor that the local consciousness system is mediating it, I mean, the larger consciousness system is mediating it, that's a perfectly good metaphor because all of it is the larger consciousness system. So the dog is the larger consciousness system. The man is the larger consciousness system. It's all part of the larger conscious system. So yeah, the larger conscious system is is mediating it in the sense that it's okay. But that's so that's one metaphor that works. There's another metaphor that says it's just the way the system works. You have consciousnesses are netted, and they're netted. You know, they're all netted together. But what data you get or don't get depends on your intent. Okay, so the dog has an intent on the master, and because he has that intent on the master, he's open to the data you know, about what the master's doing. Okay, just like if, if you were, if you had a connection with somebody that lived in China and you had, a, you know, maybe it was your child or maybe it was your, your mother or something and they were a long way off, you might get a, a sense of something going on with them or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's not, you know, you just say it's a consciousness to consciousness. One consciousness had an intent of 
staying in tune, staying connected with that other consciousness because they care a lot about that other consciousness. And where you have an intent, that's where you get the data. So if I have an intent to get health data on somebody, I get the health data on that person because I have an intent. And if the dog has an intent to stay tuned to what the master's doing and particularly to stay tuned to when the master's coming home because the dog really doesn't care what the master's doing as far as whether it's feeding pigeons or you know shopping for clothes, dog could care less. What the dog cares about is when is he coming home? So this dog has an intent of when is the master coming home and then when the, when the guy with the master says, all right, time to go home now, and uh, the guy says, okay, um, let's go, then the dog gets excited because the dog got the message, yeah, the master's coming home because that's the intention it had. That's what was important to it, you see. So you can look at it as the larger consciousness system mediating it because all of it's part of the larger consciousness system, so yes, it does, or it's just the way consciousness works. You know, you have two consciousnesses that are both in this virtual reality game, and all consciousness is netted, and intent defines or, or, or focuses on particular pieces of data and information. So it's just like we have the World Wide Web, and you can go pull up a particular It's your intent that does that. I intend to go to YouTube. Okay, so your intention takes you to YouTube and maybe takes you a particular video on YouTube. That's your intention. Because of your intention, you're now connected to YouTube. If you didn't have that intention, you would have no idea what was going on in YouTube, you see? So your intention goes out and gets that data because that's what you focus on. Well, in the consciousness world, you don't actually have to type in a URL or go through any of that stuff. You just have an intention, and that opens you up to that web page, if you like. And now the dog's web page is a, is a web page called Owner. I want Owner to come home. You know, because the owner feeds me when he comes home. You know, when's the owner coming home? And then you get that, yes, you get that thing. You get that message. But it's through the consciousness system. You see, and the, the, the thing that, that uh, Rupert Sheldrake does is because he's a, a scientist who, um, like most all the other scientists, feel that everything has to be physical. Okay, if you believe that everything has to be physical, then you need to come up with some physical cause of how that happens because everything has to be physical. So now you, he does the research. He says, okay, this dog knows when the master's coming home. What physical media could do that? Is it electromagnetic? Is it, you know, what, you know, all the physical things he can think of? Well, none of those things seem to make sense. No, it's probably not electromagnetic. No, it's not acoustic. No, it's not, you know, you know, pressure waves. No, they're not tapping code with their foot, you know, and it's traveling through the ground. None of those things seem to make any sense. So what we do, if we can't make any sense between a cause and an effect, we say, oh, it's a field. Because these fields are magic things that, you know, the cause and effects can travel, you know, nobody can see it, nobody can hear it, nobody can feel it, you know, but you can measure, you can measure the difference on the either, either side. So it's kind of a magical thing that lets you connect to events like that. So he comes up with a morphic field as an explanation. And in his mind, this morphic field is a field that's between all living things and whatever, and it's, uh, it's like another field, like an electromagnetic field. Well, now you get a morphic field. So he explains that, but the only reason you need a morphic field is because you believe that you need a physical process for that to take place because the dog knows. So therefore, there must be a physical process of communication. Therefore, we have to have a 
field of some sort, and we'll call it a morphic field because the dog and the human are both alive. That's what's clear, and we don't know that rocks and trees do this sort of thing. So it's only people, therefore it's morphic. It has to do with being alive. It's a some kind of a, a field between living things, and you see, so that's where that comes from. But we don't need a morphic field if we understand consciousness, because consciousness has to be outside of the uh, physical, you know, the, the physical reality. Consciousness can't be inside the physical reality. Right. The elf cannot be sharing its elf reality with the server. The server has to be outside of the World of Warcraft reality. You know, it's just like that. So consciousness can't be in the same reality as the as the uh, avatar. And until we get that, then we create things like fields to explain events that are that are here. So the experiment's good, and the data's accurate. The explanation of why it works, uh, science will always come up with some kind of physical process. They'll just make things up. And, you know, electrical fields are the same way. You know, you have an electrical field, an electromagnetic field. Well, you can move a magnet over here, and because you've moved or move a charge over here, and because you've done that, you can measure an E&M field over there, right, in the field. And because you're a certain distance away, and because of the, the uh, geometry and so on, you can make a good calculation what that electromagnetic field strength is going to be, or let's say just the electric field strength is going to be because I moved this charge right. of a certain charge at a certain distance in a certain direction, and I can calculate all that, and I can make the measurements, and sure enough, my math is good, and I get the answer. Okay, well... In a virtual reality, there is no field. In a virtual reality, you have a rule set. And the rule set says moving charges create effects on charges that are further away. Right? That's just the way it is. So if I move this charge and I've got another charge over here, it's going to move a little because this one went by. Because this one create, moving creates a field and it affects this one. Well, I've got the... I've got the uh, the rule set here, and I say, okay, here one went by, I'm going to move this one a little bit in a certain amount in a certain direction, and that's just the way it is. That's the way the computer calculates it. Well, the people, the, the, the elves that are in that say, well, we have these two things happening. They're related, so it must be something physical. But we can't see it, smell it, touch it. So we'll call it a field because a field is one of those things that is invisible and nobody knows about it except you can measure the results. So you see, there really is no such thing as a field. A field is, a, is, a, is an assumption that we make because we want to make a physical connection. So the fact is that the rule set just says, here's a moving charge. Everywhere else in space, there's going to be some effect, some electromagnetic effect due to that charge. Okay? And if we were computing that if we're computing that in a computer, we're doing a computer model. And in my computer model, I'm going to have a charge of certain Q moving at a certain velocity, and I'm going to have other charges placed all around, and I'm going to calculate what I'm going to, the effect, the force I'll feel on these other charges placed all around, right? Can I do that? Sure. I use the equations, right? I can do that. I can calculate all those things. Do I need a field inside my computer from one to go to the other? No. All I'm doing is calculating what those answers are, right? Right. Just calculating all the values. Well, that's what happens in the larger conscious system. All those values are just calculated. It's us who dream up the idea of a field because we have to have a physical cause for everything. Right. You see? 
So even something as fundamental as electromagnetic fields, which, I mean, are really fundamental. Here we are talking on computer. You know, everything, we're, everything that makes us able to talk is electromagnetic, you know, and, and uh, field effects and electrons and all that stuff. But the effects are true. The effects are real. The causes that we make up, like the fields, that's just, a, that's just something we believe in. Because it gives us the right answer, and it, it feels physical, so we like it. But right. uh, in a virtual reality, you really don't need fields. You don't need electrical fields anymore, and you need morphic fields. It's just a computer calculating answers in space. Just like if we modeled moving electrons. We don't, put, we don't model, you know, we don't have to model the field. We just use a field equation to calculate the value. But we call it a field equation. You know, it's just an equation that says how does moving charge affect other charges. Anyway, that's maybe more technical detail than you want. But uh, you seem like you're kind of technical guy that uh, you like things in detail. So I gave you that. Hopefully, I didn't bore you with it. No, not at all. Nope. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Tom uh, Lawrence has a third part to the question, and this is concerning afterlife. I'm going to ask the last part of this question, and if your answers um, are such that they answer the first part, I will have Lawrence fill in whatever whatever it doesn't answer. Um, I think it's very interesting how he phrased this. Since Bob Monroe was experienced in out-of-body experiences and the afterlife, in theory, could he come back to physical matter reality reincarnated knowing who he was previously? At some point in evolution, do you think we will be able to know more and more of who we were previously to the point where we will never lose who we were previously? Who we were previously. Well, the answer to that is probably not. And the reason not is that it's not real effective learning lab if you keep all this intellectual information. Um, if you're going to remember who you were, you're also going to remember all the all the other stuff that was in your way. You know the fears, the the you know. If, it's hard to say. Oh, well, I'm going to pick and choose my information. You know, I'd like to remember. You know that I was Bob Monroe and that I you know. Did, did these things, but I don't really want to remember all the ways that my fear expresses itself and the, you know my ego and all the beliefs that I had. I don't want to bring all that junk back because that was all dysfunctional. It's just dysfunctional stuff I picked up along the way. And no, I don't want that. You know, so you, you can't cherry pick. You either get it all or you don't get it all. And if you get it all, you know, you either get it all or you don't get any of it. I guess is what I'm saying. If you get it all. It's like baggage. One life to the other to the other. You're bringing all this baggage along. Um, you have all of this, this memory and understanding. You've had, uh, you know, the last 5,000 uh, incarnations you've had, you know, you've had uh, 3,000 wives, you know, 6,000 children, uh, you know, two or 3,000, 4,000 uh, brothers and sisters, all of whom you were totally, you know, connected with and, you cared about and you loved and they loved you and you had all these situations, much less all the pets that you had and all the you know, aunts and uncles. So you got all of this stuff. Now would you like to have all that in your consciousness? You know, would you like to have uh, uh, you know, all of that stuff right there where you're still feeling all those feelings and you knew all about it? Well, if you had it in you at the being level, you'd have to you would be like 
connected to it. You'd be emotionally, you'd be, you know, it would be part of you. And all of it would be there to deal with all at once. All of these relationships, all of this stuff. And yes, you could kind of put some of it back and bring some to the forefront, but you'd be carrying all this unnecessary stuff around with you. You see, now, you, if you had it just at the intellectual level, well, what good is that going to do you, really? If you carried it just at the intellectual level, then it wouldn't be a part of you. You know, you really wouldn't have the emotional connection to it. You'd have an intellectual, be like you had a book. You had a real good book on your, your history. So you could maybe keep some of that at the intellectual level, but eventually it's just too much. It's too much data to deal with, and what good would it do? How is it going to help you grow up? Because your growing up is about making choices. I have to make a choice. Here's an event, and here's a choice. I need to make this choice, and I need to make it based on who I am inside. It's got to be me. You know, that's the choice. And if I make it with you know, a loving intent, then I evolve. If I make it with a fearful intent, you know, I de-evolve. So it has to do with my choices. And those choices have to do with who you are, not at the intellectual level, not all that you know. It's not all the facts you know. It's who you are at the being level. That's what it has to do. And all that other stuff is just, you know, it's just unnecessary. It doesn't change who you are. You are who you are. And having an intellectual sense of all the past isn't helpful. Because you don't want to be making decisions based on your intellect. Oh, I remember, uh, da, 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 this is this way, and the last time I had a situation like that, I did that, and that's a, so this time I'm going to do it that way. Now you're living your life out of your intellect. You see, you're not making honest, you know, your, your choices aren't really representing you. Your choices are representing what your intellect thinks you ought to do. So you, you've gamed the system now. That you, you're not making honest choices. You think you're, you're making better right answers rather than an honest answer of who you are. See how that just gets in the way? Yeah. You don't want to know all that. Yeah, you don't want to know all that stuff. What you want to do is just keep the quality that you've earned up to that point. Yes, you don't want to let any of that go. That's what you're evolving. And all the facts and details and the rest of it you want to let go because they just would get in the way of your learning. So, no, I don't think we'll get to the point that we will uh, all have all those memories, but what we will do, the more evolved we get and the higher our own quality goes, the more we will be able to get in touch with all of that information. So, though we won't necessarily remember it, we'll have it, you know, like it's not us in our memory that we deal with it all the time, but we can reach out with our intent and grab that information much more readily. So yes, as we evolve and, 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 uh, and grow up, all of that data becomes more accessible to us. And what happens is the more accessible that data is to you, at first you use it a lot. You really want to know. You're curious. And you access it a lot. And after a while, you don't really access it any because you know it's not really helping you out. It's more ego and curiosity than anything else because the way you have to evolve is to make a choice from inside to you that represents you, not out of your intellect, but out of your being level. And that quality of that choice is what makes you uh, evolve or de-evolve. 
So it's not an intellectual decision anyway. So what happens is that even if you have a, a very good link to all that information, you don't really use it because it's not really all that helpful. One thing to add, please. Um, the individuated unit of consciousness, does it base its next planned experience packet on its collective experience or on the last experience packet? Yeah, it bases it on the collective. So once you finish up an experience packet and now that gets integrated back into your individuated unit of consciousness, um, you make you plan your next one based on where you are, where you, the individuated unit of consciousness, are and what you need to learn. So it's an accumulation, not just on that last experience. That last experience added somehow. And one of the, the good things about this is that let's say you have a disastrous last experience. Let's say you just had some bad luck. You know, you, ended, you landed in the wrong place at the wrong time, and uh, it, it brought out the worst in you. And you ended up uh, making a lot of really bad decisions. And it goes back, and now you have that attached to your, your uh, individuated unit of consciousness. But your individuated unit of consciousness can look at that and say, well, that was really pretty anomalous. I'm not, gonna, you know, I'm not going to weight that very much as far as... But it does show me that you still have problems here, and if the right situation comes out, boy, those problems kind of take over. So we do need to work on that. But it's not necessarily that it rises to the top of the list just because it was the last one. You know, there's there's a lot of probability and randomness in this. Sometimes your your challenges are really really tough here, just because that's the way they are. Sometimes they're easy. Sometimes things fall in your lap and they're not so hard. Uh, you know, it's the way it is. Every everything just kind of plays out. You know, it's it's uh, it's not all written. It's not deterministic. It's just how all the the chips happen to fall as to what you end up with. So it, it, it looks at the collective and decides what it thinks it needs to do based on, on the whole. Of course, more recent things will weigh higher or have a heavier weighting than, than past things because you change. You wouldn't want to give all, uh, say, 10,000 of your incarnations exactly equal weight because hopefully over those 10,000, you're a different person now. You know, you don't, you've solved some of those problems. So it's, it, not a your larger consciousness. Well, your your IUOC, your your unit, your individuated unit of consciousness is not a dumb thing. It can assess where your problems are, and it can also assess if that's an anomalous experience packet or whether it's typical experience packet. And it it looks over the whole thing and decides what it needs to do next to to optimize its own evolution. Okay, Tom, thank you. Our next question comes from an MBT forum user, uh, also on the subject of incarnations. Are there any indications that a larger-than-usual number of low-entropy IUOCs have chosen to be incarnated into this particular PMR in the last 40 years or so? Our universe is extremely vast, and extraterrestrial planets with intelligent life forms somewhat similar to humans is mathematically not that highly unlikely. Uh, 
are individuated units of consciousness usually sticking to one planet within a certain PMR for several incarnations before moving on to somewhere else? And would it show up in their behavior if they recently incarnated onto a new planet? Okay. Well, yes, I agree that, uh, you know, life other places in this uh, virtual reality. Our virtual reality is the whole universe. So obviously the whole universe can support more than this one planet, this one solar system and one planet Earth here. There's a whole lots of other uh, opportunities for it to have other other games going at the same time, agreed. And, and most scientists now look at that and say the probability that there's other life forms evolving on other planets, other places in the universe is very high. That's because there's so many billions of suns and and uh, opportunities that if you just look at it, even if it's only, you know, one in, one in a billion that life would evolve on a planet, well, if there's a hundred billion planets, then, you know, it's going to happen. That's just statistics. So that's the way, you know, that, that, uh, that works out. Now, do most well, let's put it this way. Most entities will have experience packets back to the same place, what is called place in the virtual reality, because they learn the ropes, they know the lay of the land, it's familiar, and they can they spend less of their energy trying to adapt to a new environment. Rather they can just get they can just play in the environment. So typically yes, um, IUOCs will keep returning to the same area, same planet, same place. Doesn't mean it's mandatory. You can go elsewhere, and there is cross-connects. There are those that come other places that come here to incarnate, and some that have been here for a long time go other places. There's not a, you know, there's no rule that says everybody has to return to wherever they start. You can mix that up, but most of the time, it's not mixed up. Most of the time, it stays pretty consistent. And the only you know, reason that I, that I can think of for that is that consistency is just easier. If you do things that, are, that you've done before, then uh, it's just easier to work in a, in, some, in a context with which you're familiar. So that's, it can happen lots of different ways, but it usually doesn't. I think another part of that question was, um, does it possibly show up in their behavior? Uh, sometimes we jokingly say, "Are you from another planet?" Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yes, um, it does. It does do that because if it's not, if it's not an environment, it's a very different environment, a very different game set than you're used to. It takes a while to figure out how to play. You know, if you've, if you've never played. World of Warcraft ever, but you've played The Sims. You're really big on The Sims. You've got, you know, 300 hours of, of Sims playing, and then uh, you leave The Sims and you, you know, get yourself a, you know, a barbarian in World of Warcraft. You're lost. You have no idea what to do or how to do it or what's important or how you should act or anything else because it's a different game altogether. Yes, it's still humanoids. Yes, they still have gravity. Yes, all the basics are about the same. But it's just a different game, and uh, you know it's a different sociology and a different psychology, and that's enough difference that if you know that if what you're trying to do is grow up, 
you'll do better if you're in a game that you know how to, you know, you can grow up in either game. You know, you can learn things in World of Warcraft, you can learn things in Sims, but you learn kind of in the context of that game, and it's a whole lot easier to continue there. And would, a, would somebody from, from uh, The Sims shows up in World of Warcraft, would they act a little different? Sure. They, they'd wander around like they were on a street corner, you know, wondering what's going on, and some, you know, somebody would sneak up behind them, you know, and, and bash them over the head with a club, and they'd think, what is that for? Why'd they do that? You know, they'd have no idea. Sure, there, there would be an obvious difference that, because the people would just be clueless, and it wouldn't seem natural to them. And in their own mind, they may just kind of all constantly look around and say, I really don't belong here. You know, so I just don't understand what's going on in this place. So it, a person could feel that way, that they just, you know, don't, I just don't get it here. And other people could look at them and say, yeah, they sure don't. They just don't seem to get it here. And that may be because, you know, they're not used to being here. And may not be. You know, that's the thing. It's a complex enough system that there's always two or three ways that almost anything could could happen. You know, it's not a very simplistic system that only has one answer. So yes, um, you can cross pollinate with different worlds. Uh, and yes, it probably would show for a while. Depends on how quick a learner they are. You know, how fast they can pick up a different culture, a different uh, psychology, and a different sociology than what we have. Yeah. Yes to all of the above is possibilities, but probably doesn't happen a whole lot. Adam would like to add further to that question. Tom, um, are the same, and you've somewhat answered it, but are the same lessons being learned in other various PMRs, virtual realities? Um, are other planets set up for specific reasons? Yes. All over, and not only... You know, if we look at an even bigger picture, it's not only different planets within this virtual reality, but there are different virtual realities out there. There's other universes besides this universe. And then within this universe, there's, you know, there's lots of other uh, uh, stories, lots of other things going on besides just this planet. So all of that, all of the different universes, all of the different kinds of consciousness, whether I'm talking about the dog, the cat, or the bumblebee, but everywhere is in a game of evolution. That's, that's common for all of it. That's the reason for it being here. So it's not just that you know, other people get to play and goof off, you know, but we have to work you know, over here. You know, we have to keep evolving. It's not like that. Everybody works. Everybody's in a process of evolving. They're just doing it through different ways and methods and different systems and different environments. And it's being done in a lot of different ways. Um, are all so is it all just learning every reality is just learning to become love right all, right, all the same lesson yeah it's all the same lesson everywhere although most of them aren't doing much better than we are so it's a <laughs> it's a tough lesson it's a tough lesson but it's it's it is the lesson that's the point of it otherwise there's no point in creating these virtual realities you know i mean that's the that's the reason they're there is give uh, consciousness a a, uh, a better opportunity to grow up. The thing is that if you're the larger consciousness system, you don't want to put all your, ba all your eggs in one basket. You know, that wouldn't make sense. You'd want to try, you know, a thousand different ways of setting up the game. And letting, because once you set up the game, you kind of have to let it evolve however it evolves. 
Otherwise, you keep messing into your own experiment, you know, and you never know what you're doing then because you keep polluting the, you know, the natural results with your own interference. So you'd set up a lot of, of different situations and then just let them go. And that way, you're, in a sense, you're parallel processing. You're doing it in a thousand different ways simultaneously. And you would, you would learn which ways work best and which ways don't, you know, don't work so well. And then you'd make more of the ones that work well and make less of the ones that don't work so well. And it just seems to me any intelligent system that's trying to get to a goal will get there as efficiently and effectively as possible. And for that reason, just sticking all the eggs in one basket and say, oh, there's one little planet called Earth here at the sun, and let's just do everything right there doesn't seem to me like a smart move for a, uh, uh, you know, a larger consciousness system. Why would it limit itself when it doesn't have to? Its only limitation would be how many bits does it have to play with. You see, as long as there's more bits, then uh, you, can, you can get uh, what you're doing quicker if you parallel process, right? So it'd just be a bit limitation. And I've never seen any lack of, <laughs> any lack of bits. There seems to always be plenty of bits available, from my experience. I, I not run up against the, uh, well, you know, we're going to have to conserve memory here because that's a problem. There always seems to be plenty. So I don't think that's an, that's an issue. Uh, just to follow up on that, there's been some, the idea of uh, the only active component inside the system just being all individuated units of consciousness. So, like, anything that's actively going on is just some type of data exchange between independent unit, units of consciousness. And maybe that there, you know, what I was wondering is, are there background processes carried out not by an individuated unit con of consciousness? Well, sure. Let's ask the same question about World of Warcraft. Okay, you've got World of Warcraft, and uh, anything that actually happens in there it's basically because somebody's logged on, right? Because otherwise, the players don't just get up and dance with each other or, you know, try to kill each other or, or uh, solve their own uh, riddles. You know, they don't do that. It, no, nothing, no gameplay happens until a gamer signs on. But does the system have a lot of, you know, ha have a lot of uh, stuff it has to do in the background? Sure, and there's what they call them, NPCs, non-player non characters. Uh, there's... There's other things. There's all the rocks and the mountains and all that stuff still evolving as well, but it doesn't get played by a consciousness. You know, the you know rivers change course. Uh, you know, everything changes. You know, the 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 uh, bio. You know, the biomes change. You know, things that were forests become deserts. I mean, there's change going on all the time. That's evolution, and the system has to track that and keep you know keep going with it. And you know, tectonic plates collide and. Stress builds up under, uh, you know, the west coast of uh, North America, and someday there's going to be a big uh, earthquake there to let those stresses relax, and all of that's got to be computed, and the probabilities drawn when something has to happen. You know, you draw, you draw a random draw from the from the probabilities of what's likely to happen, and that's what happens. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff the system has to keep up with, as it, uh, you know, as it works. But in general. If there's nobody logged in, it's a dull place. There's not much going on. You just have the set. And uh, because World of Warcraft is a programmed set rather than an evolving set, then they don't have to evolve everything. They don't have to make, you know, they don't have to worry about their rivers eroding 
<laughs> making the you know making the valley deeper over time because they're not evolving the set. They just program it so it just stays the way it is without any change. So ours has a whole lot more uh, work in the background to do than say World of Warcraft does because ours is evolving and all that natural evolution everywhere is being computed. You know, so the the old species going away, new species perhaps uh, being generated. Uh, um, Climate's change. I mean, all that just has to continually is a function of probability of the evolution. So there's tons of stuff that needs to be done in the in the background. But the real action, you know, what it's there for? That's all just maintenance of the of the of the game board, right? That's just maintenance of the of the reality frame. What's really going on is when people log in. When you have an IOC, an individuated unit of conscious. Try not to use too many acronyms here, because sometimes people listen who aren't privy to all the acronyms, but that's when an individuated unit of consciousness um, you know, logs on, now suddenly the game becomes interesting and it starts to do you know, what it's intended to do and you get interaction between them. But no, that's not all that's happening. There's a lot more has to happen to support that. You know, the whole environment that's being created virtually has to, has to be consistent. Tom, the next question. Sorry, did, Adam, did you have anything else? Oh, no, I was just saying that that helps. That clears some things up. Okay, good. 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 Tom, the next questions come from Massey. Um, the next two questions. Can being around spiritual teachers and gurus help us to grow the quality of our consciousness? And do you think that meditation should be taught in schools? Uh, good questions. The um, yes, being around gurus can help some, but very limited amount of help. Um, I say that because we are all netted, and if you hang around with people who are all lower lower entropy than you are, it kind of helps pull you up. You start acting better and being better and being. Uh, well, I don't know, being pulled up in that direction, but it doesn't actually change you. It just makes you feel, act, and be better, but it wasn't your choice. So then you go away from those people, and you're still better, but if you're away from them long enough, that, that what you got there from that uh, being with those people it starts to go away and deteriorate, and eventually, if you're away from them long enough, it goes away. You're back to just who you are. So yes, it does help to pull you up, and that's a little bit of what we, you know, talked about before. We're all netted. It's kind of the group mind thing. Um, looking at it from the opposite end, think of a, a mob. You got a mob of people all out to get the the bad guy, right? And they turn into to some kind of a of a um, of a mob, and they lower their collective quality because of the mob. Because you got all this this hate and all of this. Let's get them and and let's do this and let's do that. And the whole thing degenerates into something something worse, something more basic and, and more awful than any of them would be by themselves. Well, the same thing, that's this group mind. The group mind, people pick up and share information all the time, particularly if they're united on a particular cause or something, and they uh, egg each other on to lower and lower you know, levels or to higher and higher levels. So you hang around with the, with the gurus, 
And yes, you will probably start acting better, feeling better. You'll have more more contact probably with the larger consciousness system, and that'll help pull you up. But it's not yours. You're just being pulled up in in uh, that environment. It's not yours unless you grow up enough to support it. That's why if you move away five years later, you're right back where you would have been if you'd never been around the gurus because it wasn't yours, and you eventually it it goes away, and you're right. You're right back at the same spot. So you actually have to do the growing up. Nobody can do the growing up for you. So yes, that was the one question. What was the other question, Donna? The other question was, do you think that meditation should be taught in schools? Yes. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that should be taught in schools. We don't teach we don't teach our children much that's very useful in schools. What we mainly teach our children in schools is to sit down, shut up, and do what I tell you. You know, That's basically what we teach people in schools. We teach them to be obedient and to know that the system will get you and grind you up if you don't obey and you don't do it the way we want. That's what we teach in the schools more than anything else. And meditation would be a good thing to teach. Now, whether it would ever be practically possible for our culture to teach meditation in the schools, I don't know. You would have lots of people would, you know, would find that an, an evil thing to do. But uh, would it be good? Yes, it would be good. Let let children learn something about their minds and their consciousness. Uh, learn a tool for relaxing and dealing with stress. Yes, that would be very good for them. Another really good thing to teach kids in school would be to think independently and critically you know hey let's instead of demanding that they all get in line and 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 do the same stuff in the same them to uh, become individuals independent and learn at their own limits not uh, you know be part of a monolithic class that has to march through material you know memorize it and then forget it you know in in, in link step with everybody else in the class there's a lot of things that I think our schools should do I'll do a lot better. I'm not a real big supporter of the quality of public schools. My own children, I, I pulled out as soon as I was able and homeschooled them, just because I thought I could make a better environment for learning than than, uh, than the public school system. So, yes, that would be a good thing. You know, even if you just approached it from a way to control stress and and anxiety and kind of relax and center yourself, that would be a great gift children besides what they would eventually walk away with was which would be a familiarity with their consciousness which would lead into a familiarity with the larger consciousness system because that's what consciousness is you know it's sort of like the the, the person in world of warcraft suddenly realizing that they're sitting in front of a computer and are, and are playing with a mouse and they can actually get up and wander around you know, go to the refrigerator and make a sandwich you know they didn't know that before they just were kind of one with the screen. They didn't realize they had another, uh, you know, whole dimension to walk around in. So it would, that would be a really good thing that if we uh, thought it. But it would have to be taught in a different environment. Right now, if you went into a public school, at least the ones that my kids were in, and you said, "All right, children, everybody, sit down and uh, you know, close your eyes and meditate for 20 minutes." You'd have mayhem, you know. You basically wouldn't have anybody doing anything other than wasting their time because they wouldn't, they wouldn't participate. Because in their mind, what you really need to do in a public school is to try to do something opposite than what you're told to do. Because it's a matter of of uh, 
fighting the system. Uh, so you'd have to have a whole different mindset in the school system before kids would take the idea of meditation seriously enough to actually do it. Because it's not just being still and closing your eyes for 10 or 20 minutes that's meditating. You really have to be you know, let, letting go of your thoughts. And you know, it has to be something you're doing internally. And if you didn't really want to do it, then you might sit there with your eyes shut. But, and you might say that you meditated, but all you would be doing is cheating the system by not cooperating and doing whatever you wanted to do. And you'd be thinking about your girlfriend or your, you know, what you were going to do after school and whatever. You wouldn't be meditating at all. So I don't know that it would work if it just got introduced. But if we had a whole different mindset in the schools, it'd be a wonderful thing for kids to do. How to get that integrated into the schools? Very hard problem. <laughs>